because well, I feel we're going to talk about something pretty important today. Going in line with uh, the Haftarah from, from this week, this week's Vayeshev, and the Haftarah was from Amos 2 and 3. Amos 3, 7 says that the Lord does anything without what? First telling who? His servants, the prophets, right? Well, that goes hand in hand with the idea that things that we see in the Scripture that have gone beforehand, we see where Yahweh uses that as blessings, as warnings, uh, for insight, and some prophetically speaking to things that will come again, okay? Uh, we see throughout Scripture where the people of Yahweh says, so you go into the land, and this is what I ask for you to do. You're not going to do it, so you're going to be exiled, and then you'll repent, and you'll come back, but uh, then you're going to fall back into your old ways, and then you're going to be exiled. And <laughs> so, I mean, he, he kind of tells us how these things are going to happen. But we see throughout the Scripture, there is a place where Israel has been exiled because of disobedience, but there's always been a return, okay? Now, when they returned, was the return just a physical return, or was it just a spiritual return, or was it both? Both, both. So there was a, a spiritual return to the land, but there was also a physical return to the land as well. And uh, when the first temple was destroyed, well, what, what should the priority be at that point? Rebuilding, rebuilding, right? Uh, what was the significance of that? I mean, was it important to have a temple? Was it important to have this in the midst of the people of Israel? Well, yes, it was. This was not just an economic hub for Israel. This was a spiritual hub for Israel. This is where they went to worship. This is where they went to bless the Father. This is where they gathered together as a nation to observe the Moedim. This is where they would come to bless his name. This is where Yahweh said where he would put his name, where they would bring their, their offerings, their their. Uh, we don't want to say sacrifices, right, because we, we know better than that now, but it's the korbanot, things that are brought near to the Father, things that are brought near to Him. This is the place where that was to be. But also, this held importance in the life of Yeshua as well. Matter of fact, and this is for some would be considered a controversial statement, maybe not for those who are tuning in to listen today, but for some this may be an extremely controversial statement. Yeshua needed there to be a temple when He was here. Does that make sense? Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you don't understand why. So we're going to cover a little bit of that today, and this is where we're going to start. Okay, this is where we're going to jump right in. Now let's talk, we're going to talk about Hanukkah and what it is. And uh, Hanukkah is not, okay, of course we're not going to focus on what it's not. We're going to focus on what it is. But it is not a replacement for other festivities going along in the same time frame. Okay? Hanukkah, is it, is it in the Bible? Say, Well, yeah, it is. And you say, okay, but we're talking about uh, the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. We're not talking about the book of Maccabees. Is it in the Bible? Yes, it's in John. Okay? So there's some things we're going to learn about that today and, uh, and, and its relevance to Yeshua. And because of its relevance to Yeshua, its relevance to you as well. Okay? This was something that had to happen. This was something that needed to happen. And not the oppression of the people of God, but the people of God standing up and taking back what was rightfully theirs and reestablishing and cleansing the temple. That had to have happened. Okay? So we're, we'll get into why in just a minute. All right? did, I, did I entice you enough? <laughs> All right. So let's, let's start off with this. Again, is it important? Yes, absolutely. So why and, and what's going on here? Okay? Because the events of Hanukkah, they never happened. It would have uh, greatly impacted the life of Yeshua, which we said, and because of that, it would have impacted all of us as well. So what is the story? Well, the typical story, the way we've heard it, is Antiochus Epiphanes, the outlaw of the Torah and all its statutes. That's true. Anyone caught observing the Torah would be killed. That was true. 
The temple was defiled and they sacrificed pigs on the altar. That was true. Uh, Judah Maccabee led a revolt and overthrew the armies of Antiochus. That was true. They looked for the oil and, uh, for the temple menorah and they only found enough to burn for one day. That's debatable. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to say it's true. I'm not going to say it's false because there are other historical documents that do recount the story. However, we don't find that in the book of Maccabees. Okay, but there are some things we find that are relevant there. All right. Uh, again, so a miracle happened, and the, the oil burned for eight days. Same thing we just said. Now on the 25th of Kislev, we honor Hanukkah for eight days in remembrance of this miracle. That's debatable as well. So why do we honor it, and what's, what's the story that we can find, right? Now, again, when you're pulling through historical sources, there are many different things that you can pull from, okay? But for the most of what we're reading through here today is we're going to use the book of Maccabees to go through this, because if you want to know the whole story, which we're not covering today, okay, you're going to have to read it there. Right? And I do believe it is a good historical record of what actually happened. But let's start with this. Why was it important to Yeshua? And that's where we're starting, okay? Because that was the point for the whole thing. Kind of weird that we're, we're going to give the, uh, the summation and the bottom line of it up front, right? That's what we're doing today, all right? So, so what's going on? If the temple was defiled, worship to Yahweh would not be possible. Not saying that the people couldn't sing to Yahweh, they couldn't have praises to Yahweh, but part of their mode of worship, what if they wanted to bring a Thanksgiving offering? They couldn't do it because that was done in the temple. What if they wanted to bring an Ola offering? They just really wanted to express a, a heart to Yahweh, and I want to do nothing but bless the Lord my God and bring him an Ola offering. Could they do it? Nope. Nope. So the peace offerings, the Thanksgiving offerings, the sin offerings, the trespass, the guilt, I mean, all of these offerings they could not bring, which were modes of worship for them. Okay. All right. So if it was not possible to bring the offerings to the temple, consider this. Miriam, also known as Mary, right? Miriam, uh, would not have brought her offering after her time of purification after having Yeshua. And if she would not have been able to do that and to bring Yeshua to the temple at that time, then Yeshua would not have kept the temple. So what's the big deal with that? A lot, actually. Okay? If she could not bring her, her offering for her purification, then she could not bring Yeshua to the temple to present him as the firstborn to dedicate him. That would not be a fulfillment of the word. Okay? Look, if the temple was defiled, what happens? What happened in Luke 2, 22? So when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him, brought who? Him, Yeshua. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to, to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Why was this offering able to be brought when, after her time of purification, when she brought to dedicate uh, her firstborn? This is what was brought if you didn't have much money, okay? This was something that was given if you, couldn't, if you couldn't bring something more extravagant or more expensive. This is why we often talk about, uh, about Yosef and Miriam being poor, you know? They weren't rich. They weren't living extravagantly. We know that because we see the offerings that they brought and the things that were done were for those who didn't have money, okay? So again, the things that we learn by actually looking at the Scripture th th does tell us a few, all right? So again, why was this important? Well, in Exodus 13... 12 and 13, we read, You shall set apart to Yahweh everyone opening the womb and every firstling, the offspring of the animals which are yours, the males belong to Yahweh, 
And every firstling of the donkey shall redeem with the flock animal. You do not redeem, you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. Part of this redemption process was to bring them to the temple and present them to the Lord. And we know when they brought, uh, you, you know, it talks about the, the, the one who was there waiting and looking for the Redeemer of Israel. And he lifted him up and he blessed him and said, now I can die. <laughs> you know, because I have seen the salvation of the Lord our God, right? So again, this was important for these things to happen, not just for the words that were spoken, but because so that, that they could fulfill the Torah in their time. So why was that important? Because if Yeshua was not dedicated according to the Torah, he would have violated the Torah. See, we think to violate the Torah means to come against it, not necessarily. To violate the Torah means just simply not doing it. To not do it is to violate it. Okay. So again, this is what we're looking at. So again, why is this important? Let me just cut to the bottom line of it. If he would have violated the Torah even once, he could not have been the Messiah, which means he had to have kept it. He had to have walked in it. He had to have observed, observed it. Deuteronomy 13, according to the test for a, a false prophet, says uh, if someone comes among you and they do signs and wonders and miracles and they do all these things, they do miraculous things, but they tell you, let's go off and serve other gods, or, or they, they draw you away from what you have already been taught and instructed, which was the Torah, then they are a false prophet. So if he would have given any leeway in not keeping the Torah, he would have been a false prophet. Okay? And if he's a false prophet, he could not have been the Messiah. If he was a false prophet, he could not have been who he was. Okay? Now again, in 1 John 3, 4 and 5, it says, uh, so, so whoever commits sin transgressed the Torah. Sin is transgression of Torah. See that? It's not, when you, when you ask people what sin is, most often they'll kind of list a, a, a list of different sins, right? So what is sin? Just go out on the street with a microphone. What is sin? Oh, you know, murder and, and adultery. And I mean, it'll just like start naming. Okay, those are what sins are, but what sin is is violation of Torah. It's much broader. It includes all those things, but it's much broader, okay? So sin is violation of the Torah. And then we continue to read in verse 5. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So if sin is violating the Torah, and he never once sinned, there was no sin in him, that means he never once violated the Torah, which means he kept the feasts. He kept Shabbat. I mean, read through the scriptures. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on Shabbat, right? Uh, where was he at Passover? I mean, even as when he was a kid growing up, it says, and their parents made sure they went to Jerusalem for Passover, right? Remember where they forgot him? <laughs> okay, that was Passover, all right? So again, they made sure they observed the Moedim. They observed these times. They observed the Shabbat. They kept the Torah. They did all of this. So even when it was out of his control, you know, it can't be this two-year-old, hey, guys, see you later. I'm going to Jerusalem, right? Not going to happen. His parents made sure that he kept the Torah as well because they did, okay? All right, so again, all this had to have been there. So if Yeshua could not have been brought to the temple, to offer for the after her time of purification and to dedicate him to the Lord, that would have been a violation of the Torah. Now understand, all those around Israel, when they attacked Israel and defiled the altar, defiled the temple, Israel had to have stood up and took it back and cleansed it and rededicated. Because if they did not do that, Yeshua would not have been able to come when he did. I mean, maybe it would have happened at a later date. Okay? What I'm saying is he would not have come at the time that he did if these other things did not happen. So understanding that the Hanukkah literally means dedication. And the whole idea of the Feast of Dedication is we will not be defiled 
We will not transgress the covenant of our God. We will stand up for Yahweh. We will do what is right, and we will make sure there is a place for his name among us. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Okay, we actually need some of that kind of tenacity today, don't we? You know, where we say we're going to stand up for Yahweh no matter what the world is doing. It doesn't look, it doesn't matter. You know, we're going to do what's right. And when the world is telling us we need to do things differently, we're going to stand for Yahweh. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not telling you, you got to see it my way, but I'm going to stand for what Yahweh has told us to stand for. All right, so let's look at a few things. All right. Again, Yeshua kept the Torah, Matthew 5, 14 and 19. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Thy word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if the word is light and it's to go in front of the path, and Yeshua says, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill can't be hidden. I mean, what's he telling us? If the word is alive and living in you, that's the light that is in you. According to John 1, he says he, he is the light. Yeshua is the light that is life, and he is the light that is in the life of men. So if he is in us, you know, the living word, if he is in us, then that light needs to shine. So he says if he's in you, it, it's, you're, you're up on a hill. You can't hide, nor are you supposed to. You need to shine, right? Okay. Neither do people light a lamp when they put it under a basket, but instead they, uh, they put it where? They, 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 uh, they, they put on a lampstand, so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And do not think that I am come to abolish the Torah of the prophets. Isn't it weird that he's talking about letting your light shine, and all of a sudden he goes into saying, don't think I've come to, t- to abolish the Torah of the prophets? How about this? The Torah is the light. <laughs> the Word is the light, and He is the Word. So, yeah, that's why He says, let your light shine. How do we let our light shine? So the people see the things that you do, which is the heart of the Father, which was according to the Torah that He gave us, and they will glorify your Father because they're watching your light shine, which is doing what He said, right? Okay, so we keep going. Don't think I've come to abolish the Torah of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but fulfill. It says, I, mean, I tell you, Till heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the, or the, or, or the seraph, the jot or tittle, you may have heard that way, or a uh, yod or vav, right, depending on which translations you have, shall not pass away from the Torah till all things come to pass. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Does it sound like he's saying they're irrelevant? No. Matter of fact, he's saying if you teach others to not do it, yeah, there's going to be accountability for that. Right? He says, on the other, uh, actually what I'm saying is teach and do, right? Okay, so what was Hanukkah about? Hanukkah is about a time of commitment. Understand the severity of it, okay? Uh, yeah, we see it as celebrations and things now, but understand the severity of the situation. People were losing their lives. They were losing their lives because they were laying their lives down for their beliefs. They were laying their lives down because they had a commitment to Yahweh, a commitment to his covenant and, and his Torah that was given to them. In other words, I'm not going to transgress what God has told me. And they were killed for that. And, and I know that this is still happening in some places in the world, but here in America, we haven't really seen that yet, have we? You know, it's like we don't want to be inconvenienced for standing up for Yahweh. Guys, it goes beyond inconvenience. Okay? People were literally laying their lives down because they were told, are you going to keep the covenant of your God or are you going to serve these other gods by doing these other things that we're telling you to do? And you will do. And they're like, no, we won't. So they killed them. Think of the severity of the situation. Okay? Today we think we're being persecuted if we just get yelled at on Facebook. That's not persecution. All right? So let's take a look at a few things in, in Maccabees. I'm not going through the whole thing. Okay? If you want the story, you're going to have to go back and read it in Maccabees. All right? But let's give you just some of the, some of the uh, highlights of here. All right? So uh, for 1 Maccabees 1, 29, 31. 
So after two years fully expired, the king sent his chief collector of tribute unto the cities of Judah, who came to Jerusalem with a great multitude, and he spake peaceable words to them. Go figure. Someone being sent here to come to Jerusalem to, call, to, to enslave them, to cause them to do unrighteousness. And he came in and he spoke peaceable words to them. Yeah, slick, right? Spoke peaceable words to them, but all was deceit. For when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city and smote it very sore and destroyed the people of Israel. And when he had taken the spoils of the city, he set it on fire and he pulled down the houses and, and, and walls thereof on every side. So yeah, he came in speaking peace, and then the minute they let their guard down, he destroyed them, right? And that's what he was sent to do, right? To be a deceiver, right? Chapter 1, verses 41 to 50. So King Antiochus wrote to this whole kingdom that all should be one people. Well, that doesn't seem like a bad idea in and of itself, isn't it? We should all be one people. We should all just be united for one cause, one purpose. You know, we need to learn to get along. We should just be one people, but according to who, whose standards, okay? I agree. We need to be a people of unity. We need to get along, but, we need, but our measure line needs to be the word of Yahweh. We need to have that, that common purpose of, of pursuing the kingdom of God, okay? Not pursuing the things of this world, all right? So again, uh, King Antioch, he said, we should be one people, and everyone should leave his laws. But we should all be one people if you do what I say, mm-hmm. Uh, so all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. Notice who who agreed? Not Israel, right? But there were many among Israel who did. Okay, verse 43. So yea, uh, many also of the, of the Israelites consented to this religion and sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. For the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem to the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land. It became outlawed to follow Yahweh and his word. You had to follow the ways of the, the land that was now conquered by this king. Verse 45. And he forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple that they should profane the Sabbaths and the festival days and pollute the sanctuary and holy people. Pollute the sanctuary and pollute the holy people. They set up altars and groves and chapels of idols and they sacrificed swine's flesh and unclean beasts that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation. What's the, go- what's the end game here? What's the goal? Verse 49, to the end that they might forget the Torah and change all the ordinances. And whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said he should die. Now understand this as well. When it says that they're, they're sacrificing uh, swine's flesh on the altars, you know, a lot of these offerings that were brought uh, much like a peace offering, you put the altar, you, you put it on the altar, and you got portions of that back that you were supposed to eat. So a lot of these, a lot of these other uh, serving other idols was like that too. So putting a swine's flesh on the altar, then they would give it back to you and say, "Now eat it." What are you going to do? Not only did you sacrifice and put a, an unclean animal on the altar that shouldn't be on the altar, but now you have now you got to eat it. Are you going to do it just for the sake of keeping peace? See, there really is more to it than we think, you know. And and think about this, literally. With a sword to their neck, you either eat it or I kill you. If the government is pushing on you something like that, I would reconsider. That might get a strike. First Maccabees 154. So now the 15th day of the month of Kislev, December 25th that year, by the way, 
In the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar. They built uh, idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side, and they burnt incense at the doors of their houses and in the streets. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law, which they found, and they burnt them with fire, any book of the Torah, they ripped it apart and burned it. It's hard for me to just read this. And when they had rent in pieces the book of the law, they burned them with fire. And whoever was found with any book of the Testament, or if any committed to the law, the king's commandment was they should be put to death. This was not some idle thing. I mean, it wasn't idle thing, but you know. <laughs> this, this is not something to take lightly. Verse 59. So now on the five and twentieth day of the month, they did sacrifice upon the altar, which was upon the altar of God, at which time, according to the commandment, they put to death certain women that had caused their children to be circumcised. Again, just to circumcise their child, they killed them. And they hanged the infants around their necks. And I'm not giving you the full story, guys. And they rifled their houses, and they slew them that had circumcised them. Howbeit, many in Israel were fully resolved and confirmed in themselves not to eat any unclean thing. Notice that. Any, just, just, if, if someone had come to you and they're like, it's just a pig, just eat it. And here we're talking about people who's like, no, you're going to kill me. I ain't, I ain't doing it. Because God said, don't do it. Because today we're like, no, just eat it. Really? 63. Wherefore, rather to die, that they might not be defiled with meat, so that they might not profane the holy covenant... So they died. What a testimony, isn't it? Wow. So moving on, 2 Maccabees 6, 1 and 2. So not long after this, the king sent an old man to Athens to compel the Jews to depart from the laws of their fathers and not to live after the laws of God and to pollute the temple in Jerusalem and to call it the temple of Jupiter, who was also known by the name of Zeus. Now you know why I have a problem with some of the entertainment out there. You know, people proclaiming to be affiliated with Zeus. Anyway. And in Gerizim of Jupiter, the defender of the strangers, they did not desire who dwelt in that place. So again, they set up pagan idols in the temple of God, and like the sanctuary in the temple of Yahweh is now dedicated to Zeus. So, 1 Maccabees 4, 35. So they go to battle, right? Judah Maccabee, who uh, was the son who had picked up the charge, right? When I'm, and he's going on. So when, when uh, Lysias saw his army put to flight, they came against the people of Israel and, and Judah and his men, they went out to fight with them. And I love how this reads. Uh, when, when Lysias saw his army put to flight and the manliness of Judas' soldiers, <laughs> they're like, yeah, you don't want to mess with these guys because they mean business, right? And, and how they were ready to either live or die valiantly. He went to Antioch, yeah, and uh, gathered together the company of strangers, and having made his army greater than it was, he purposed to come again to Judea. And, and then said Judas and his brethren, Behold, our enemies are discomfited. Let us go up to cleanse and dedicate the sanctuary. Stop. Was their purpose and goal just to stop the oppression? No. The reason why they were fighting against the oppression was because of what they were doing to the temple. It was because of what they were declaring to the people. You can't serve Yahweh anymore. You got to serve our idols. That's what they were fighting against, not just the physical oppression. They were fighting against the spiritual oppression. And so this is what they were doing. Okay, so verse 37. So upon this, all the hosts assembled themselves together, and they went up to Mount Zion. Verse 38. And when they saw the sanctuary desolate, and the altar profane, and the gates burned up, and the shrubs growing in the courts as in a forest, or in one of the mountains, yea, the priest's chambers pulled down, they rent their clothes, made great lamentation, and cast ashes upon their heads. And they fell down flat to the ground upon their faces, and they blew an alarm with the trumpets, and they cried toward heaven. Yeah. See, this, this meant a lot to them. Like I said, we, we read this now, we don't understand exactly why they're behaving like this, but this was a big deal, guys. 
Do we hold the house of God in the same regard in the place in our life? Do we hold having a, a place for, for worship and to declare his name in the same kind of respect? Do we hold his holy temple in a place of honor? Verse 41. And Judas appointed certain men to fight against those that were in the fortress until he had cleansed the sanctuary. Verse 42. So he chose priests of blameless conversation, such as had pleasure in the law, who cleansed the sanctuary and bear out the defiled stones into an unclean place. And, and when, as they consulted what to do with the altar of burnt offerings, which was profane, they thought it best to pull it down, lest it should be a reproach to them, because the heathen had defiled it, wherefore they pulled it down. And they laid up the stones, verse 46, and they laid up the stones in the mountain of the temple in an inconvenient place, until there should come a prophet to show what should be done with them. This is kind of a veiled reference to what you read in John 10, by the way. You, you, you'll miss it if you don't know. Verse 47. Then they took the whole stones according to the law, and they built a new altar according to the former. And they made up the sanctuary of the things that were within the temple, and they hollowed the courts. And they made also new holy vessels, and into the temple they brought the candlestick and the altar of burnt offerings and the incense on the table. Verse 50. And upon the altar they burned incense, and the lamps that were upon the candlestick they lit, that they might have light in the temple. Look at that. They restored the implements. They, they got incense. They lit the menorah. So, like, did they light the menorah for Hanukkah? Yes, they did. <laughs> okay, so not saying it never happened, right? But again, this, they were re reestablishing all of the service in the temple, okay? So furthermore, they set the loaves upon the table, and they spread out the veils, and they finished all the works which they had begun to make. Now on the 5 and 20th day of the ninth month, which is also called the month of Kislev, in the 148th year, they rose up at times in the morning, and they offered sacrifice according to the law upon the new altar of the burnt offerings which they had made. Verse 54. So look at what time... Uh, what the heathen had profaned, even that it was dedicated with songs, with citherns, with harps, with cymbals. And all the people fell upon their faces, worshiping and praising the God of heaven who had given them good success. And so they kept, look at this, verse 56, so they kept the dedication of the what? Altar for how long? Eight days. And they offered burnt offerings with gladness and sacrifice, the sacrifice of deliverance and praise. Verse 57, they decked also the forefront of the temple with crowns of gold and with shields, and with gates and the chambers they renewed, they hanged doors upon them. Thus was there very great gladness among the people, for that reproach of the heathen was put away. Verse 59. Moreover, Judas and his brethren with the whole congregation of Israel ordained that the days of the dedication of the what? The altar should be kept in their season from year to year by the space of how long? Eight days from the 25th day of the month Kislev with mirth and with gladness. So there is an eight-day celebration in the month of Kislev that was declared by the people of Israel that they would do in memoriam and in honor of reestablishing the temple and rededicating that altar within it. So is Hanukkah a celebration worth celebrating? Well, yeah, because what's the emphasis of it? To keep yourselves pure, to keep yourselves undefiled, to stand up for righteousness, to stand for the things of Yahweh, and not to be polluted with the, the, the things of the world. And the dedication of the altar, what are some things we learn about the altar? And again, dedication in general. We could learn some things about dedication, right? You know, we're inconvenienced and, and our life is a mess. You know, we need to learn some things about dedication. What do we really hold as important in the very core of who we are? So Hanukkah, the word Hanukkah means dedication. Okay, so again, we're talking about Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication. So when you say Hanukkah, what are you really saying? Dedication, okay? So it's a reminder to us. When we, even when we say the word, it's a reminder to us that we should be living our lives as set-apart people of Yahweh. Historically speaking, Kislev is a time when the hope and the dedication of the people of Yahweh is tested. This poses a question. Are you dedicated to Yahweh and His word, or are you partially committed? Are we fully in? 
Or are we still trying to live in the world while trying to live set apart to Yahweh? Are we fully in? Are we really dedicated to Yahweh, His covenant, His word, His life that He is giving us, and how He's instructing us to walk as holy people, people set apart to Him? Hanukkah. We find the word Hanukkah in Scripture. In Ezra 6.16, says, The people of Israel and the Kohanim and the Leviim and the other people from the, from the exile joyfully dedicated what? The house of God. At the dedication of the house of God, they offered a hundred young bulls. How did they offer them? On what? The altar. <laughs> so part of this dedication was the altar service, okay? Uh, and, and going on, right? Uh, Nehemiah 12, 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Leviim for wherever they had settled to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with hymns of thanksgiving, with songs accompanied cymbals, lutes, lyres. In John 10, 22, we read it was Jerusalem, it was Hanukkah, and it was winter, <laughs> Like, no, it says the Feast of Dedication. Yes. <laughs> what did we say? That's Hanukkah. So, like, is it in the New Testament? Absolutely. It was there, and Yeshua was there at the temple during that feast as well. And the Pharisees, and there were certain religious leaders who didn't like him being there, and they came and confronted him, and he kind of told them a few things, didn't he? Okay, let's keep going. So the altar, uh, again, Hanukkah was first mentioned where we just have this. Okay, uh, first mentioned in number seven. Number seven. So it says, the princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offering for the, uh, Yahweh again, number 784. This was the dedication of the altar in the day when it was anointed by the princes of Israel. Twelve charges of silver, twelve, okay, going on and on. The idea of this eight day, there's a connection between the altar and the priesthood. Because when the priesthood was set aside for service, they had to be consecrated, set aside for what? how long of a period? Eight days. Same as the altar. Again, there was a connection between the priesthood and the altar because that's where a lot of their service was, at the altar. So there was a connection there between the priesthood and the altar. So there was a dedication of similar uh, on both parts. The, again, the altar was dedicated seventh day. On the eighth day, it was ready for use. Again, there's an eight-day period that's given there. Exodus 29, 37. Seven days you shall make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And it shall be an altar most holy. And whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. All right. Ezekiel speaks again of cleansing the altar. Why would Ezekiel speak of cleansing the altar? How about in a time that's yet to be? How about in the third temple? How about in another one that's yet to be restored? Ezekiel 43, 26. Seven days they shall purge the altar and purify it. They shall consecrate themselves. And when these days are expired, it shall be that upon the eighth day and so forward, the priest shall make your burnt offerings upon the altar, your peace offerings, and I will accept you, says the Lord God. Okay, so what was the dedication? The, de the dedication specifically we find in the book is about... The altar, and, and, and not the menorah oil, but they did have to light the menorah somehow, didn't they? Okay, so, so we do, it was lit. <laughs> but the emphasis should be the altar. The altar had to be provided in order to have the sacrifice. The altar had to be built with uncut stones. These are stones that Yahweh shaped, not stones that we fashioned to the way that we want them to be. And the altar was set aside as holy. The altar worked with the sacrifice, and the altar is what the blood was applied to. And the altar is a representation of you. I mean, what does it say in Romans 12? It says that you are to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Where does the sacrifice go? On the altar. So if you are a living sacrifice, that means your life is to be on that altar. And when that fire comes, what does fire do? It purifies. It cleanses. So when the fire comes, it's to purify and cleanse and to cause that which is holy to be given and, and set up into Yahweh. We read in Romans 12 where it says this, I exhort you therefore, brothers, 
in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living and set apart to God. This will please him, and it is a logical temple worship for you. In other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the Olam Hazay, of this world. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. That's what he wants for you. But you've got to burn out the things that don't need to be there and make sure our lives are laid on the altar, what he wants, right? Okay, so what do we see about this in Yeshua and John? John 10, 22 to 30 is where we're going. We're not going fin- finishing on past that. But so it says, then it, then it was Hanukkah, and it was winter in, in Jerusalem, and Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade, and the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us outright. And Yeshua answered, he says, I have told you, but you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify concerning me. He's saying, all the things that I've said and done that you've been witnesses to should tell you who I am. You've seen it with your own eyes, but it doesn't matter. You don't want, you don't want to believe it, right? So again, he's, he's like, you know. <laughs> like, tell us, tell us if you're the guy. He's like, you know, right? Okay, 26. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Notice it's not just to hear his voice, but it's to hear his voice and follow him. Okay. Now, keep in mind about this. In, in, the, in this conversation anywhere, did he say, and by the way, you're here at this time of, of Hanukkah that you shouldn't be observing? Not one word. Okay. Yeshua never spoke out against it. And why was he there? I believe he was there in honor of the heart that was behind the dedication. You know? He says again, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, verse 28, and I, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch, snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. If you, if you keep reading, it says, and then they, de- then they decided to try to pick up stones to try to stone him, right? Interesting thing, and, and you, you can not agree with this, that's fine, but it's just a, a thought that I've heard given out there before. So it's just food for thought. What stones? Why were there stones there? This is an area of the temple that would have, it's supposed to have been kept clean, pristine. So what stones were there? If we go back to Maccabees and we read from the Hanukkah story, they tore down the stones from the altar and they put them off in the corner because they didn't know what else to do with them. They say, well, hopefully a prophet will come by and tell us what to do with this. I've heard it said that when they were reaching for these stones, it was those. I don't know. I can neither confirm nor deny all I'm saying is it is interesting to note that happened and this happened. <laughs> is there a connection between the two? I don't know, but it is something to consider. So in terms of the historical narrative for Hanukkah, people trusted God and he did miracles. They trusted Yahweh. They were outgunned. They were outnumbered. And Yahweh did miraculous. They defeated them with an army that didn't make sense. Yeah, that, that, that's never happened more, right? Let's go look at Gideon for a minute, right? They defeated them with an army that should not have defeated them. But Yahweh was with them. So then, this inspired them to look at the defiled temple and, and envision its repurification. They didn't just say, yay, our oppressors are gone. They weren't satisfied until they rededicated and purified the temple and got it work, got it right. So the, so the work wasn't done when the oppressors left. The work wasn't done when those armies were conquered. The work was done when they reinstituted a heart of worship. Now, some people take issue with the Maccabees because in time, the, the, the system and what they were doing, they became corrupt, as people do. As we read throughout the Scripture, they started off well. That doesn't deny the facts that what happened that day was right and righteous. It should be on, right? Going on. Writing uh, about 200 years after the rededication of the temple, Josephus 
calls Hanukkah the festival of lights. Although its historical accuracy is debatable, he doesn't mention the miraculous oil. So we can learn about Hanukkah's theme about trust and hope from his account. Perhaps the reason for the name of the festival of lights is that freedom beyond our hopes appeared to us. And so this was the name given this. So when, even when Josephus was writing about the festival of Hanukkah, he called it the festival of lights, but he didn't mention the oil. So could he have possibly been talking about the light of life, which is the spark of light within us, which is Yahweh, that we're honoring uh, him, his light in us, which is his life, his work, and dedicating ourselves to him. The Feast of Dedication tells us to remember no matter the circumstance, no matter what's around, no matter what it looks like, if Yahweh is for us, none can stop. If Yahweh is for us, what else do we need? I say let us dedicate ourselves in this time. You know, Scripture says, don't you know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? Let's dedicate ourselves to when we do that, I want us to look and read, as we close out here, I want us to look and read in, in uh, Psalm 30, which is the dedication of the temple. It's a psalm that was written for the dedicating of the temple. What better way to, to, to kind of change our focus? How do we dedicate the temple? But to look at the praises that went forth as the temple was dedicated. So let's do that. Let's take a quick look at that. Psalm 30, verses 1 through 13. A psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. I exalt you, Adonai, for you have lifted me up and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Adonai, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Adonai, you brought my soul up from Sheol, and you kept me alive, so I would not go down into the pit. Sing praise to Adonai, his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts for only a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Adonai, in your favor, you made my mountain stand strong. When you hid your face, I was terrified. To you, Adonai, I called, and to my Lord, I made my plea. What gain is there in my blood, in my going down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, Adonai, and be gracious to me. Adonai, be my help. You turn my mourning into dancing. And you remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. So my glory will sing to you. And not be silent. Adonai, my God, I will praise you forever. Amen? Amen. May we examine our hearts, examine our lives, examine our ways. And in this festival season, let's be dedicated to the let's be dedicated to, to him, his life, his word, his covenant. Because guess what, guys? He's dedicated to you. He's given it all to you. Let's turn our hearts. Let's show the good. There is a better way. Amen.